constitutional experts talk about the indication presentation systems here filed around the same time 1989 and they go on here with more uh, subliminals methods of inducing mental emotional and physical states of consciousness include specific mental activity in human beings this one is wild again 1990 nervous system manipulation by electromagnetic fields from monitors check this one out method of an apparatus for inducing desired states of consciousness once again this is improved methods and an apparatus for entertaining human brain patterns employing frequency following response or ffr techniques uh, facilitate attainment of desired states of consciousness method and an associated apparatus for remotely determining information as to a person's emotional state thought transmission unit sends modulated electromagnetic wave beams to human receiver to influence thoughts and actions without an electronic receiver this one filed back in 2002 a thought transmission unit sends modulated electromagnetic wave beams over long distances to a human receiver to influence the thoughts actions or perceptions of the organism with or without their consent but without them requiring electronic receiver this is absolutely phenomenal technology being filed for patents back in 2002. moving on we have electronic fringe field generator for manipulating nervous systems filed back in 1998 communication system and method including brainwave analysis and or use of brain activity this is getting right into the sci-fi filed in 1998 apparatus for audibly communicating speech using the radio frequency hearing effect now we're getting into transmitting voices directly into people's heads we're talking about uh, putting speech uh, through various frequencies being decoded by the human brain as an actual voice multifunctional radio frequency directed energy systems okay now we're getting into the literal weapons this was designed by raytheon company a, a defense company pulsative manipulation of the nervous system filed back in 1998 uh, we also have methods and devices for producing a desired brain state filed back in 2000 we had the apparatus and the method for remotely monitoring and altering brainwave a lot of research of drugs, vaccinations, and who knows what else is going to be housed under the umbrella of this 21st Century Cures Act, which now has been amended to say they can waive con informed consent if it poses no more than minimal risk or if it's in the contrary to your best interests. Because as we all know, the government knows what's best for you. CDC, Health and Human Services, they know what's best for you and your children and your family. You don't know what that is. You need the government bureaucracy to tell you what that is. If you don't have informed consent in clinical trials and experimentation on people, then how does anyone know they're not part of an experiment? How, because you don't, if the people doing testing the drugs and testing the vaccines don't have to tell you that you're part of it and they don't have to get your consent, they don't have to inform you what they're doing and then get your consent after they've meaningfully informed you of what they're giving you, then how the hell does anyone know, right? I had to ask myself if it was fake news because I thought, oh, come on, there's no way they actually did that. And I had to actually go myself and look up this bill. If you go and look at the language that is in this bill, it is very ambiguous. If you go look up what a developmental disability is, I mean, you're talking about things like bipolar disorder, ADD and ADHD are considered developmental disabilities. I mean, can you imagine a world where the police can decide who needs to have a microchip to be tracked. There are people who believe the Constitution should be literally followed, and the words that the Constitution actually says should be followed. I mean, the founders of this country would, of course, uh, if they were around today, would be at the top of this administration's no-fly list. My understanding, I was told that in the Senate, it was likewise breezed through. Somebody went on the Senate floor, 
when other senators weren't there, maybe two people or so, and said, I ask unanimous consent that this bill be passed, hearing no objection, so ordered. Not much of a vote. We didn't even have a hearing in subcommittee, committee. We didn't, where we bring witnesses, talk to experts, talk to people involved, see what the problem is, see if the cure is worse than the problem. And uh, we didn't have that. We didn't have constitutional experts talk about the indications for our future freedom. I mean, this is evil. By even talking about getting rid of informed consent, by not allowing you to opt out of the system, it makes you a slave. That is slavery. You can use whatever name or euphemism you want for it. What it boils down to is a system where you will do what you're told. You will be experimented on and you have no option. If that is the system they get through in the name of the greater good and the system they get through because they tell you they've tested it and it's safe and this is the greatest scientific advance in hundreds of years, if they tell you you're not allowed to say no and that you do not have the right to decide what goes in your body or when you draw the line, then there's just no other word for it. You're a slave. Would it be right then for the RCMP to have more powers to help bring public safety and security to its highest possible level? Bill C-51 goes too far. The definitions are too vast. The scope goes way beyond anything that's required or at least for which any evidence has been brought forward by the government. They're also incapable of saying what's not there now that they're adding with this bill. I've asked Mr. Harper any number of times this week to give examples. He can't do that. I asked the Minister of Justice to provide examples of what it means to allow CSIS to disrupt. They can't explain that either. It's so very deeply unconstitutional to allow a CSIS agent to go to a judge in a secret hearing to get a warrant, not just to break the law, but to violate the constitution. This is, this is deeply anti-democratic and absolutely unacceptable in a democracy. It didn't take a federal court for us to know that this was unlawful, but it is nice to see that the courts do see it in this way. And additionally, these CSIS agents actually lied to these judges about this data collection, so I'm sure that helped. Humans have been known to commit outrageous acts towards each other, with wars, atomic weapons, and acts of terrorism continuing despite the advancement in society. But one thing that remains unforgettable is the performing of experiments on our fellow species in order to advance our knowledge. Today, we reveal 20 of the most disturbing human experiments conducted throughout history that will send chills down your spine. Number 20, newborn experiments. During the early 1960s, researchers at the University of California started experiments on newborns to study changes in blood pressure and blood flow. Using 113 of these infants, they inserted tubes into babies through the umbilical arteries and into the aorta, and even submerged the babies in ice water for the sake of testing aortic pressure. Separately, in another experiment, they forcefully tilted the babies upside down to cause blood to rush to their heads, just so their blood pressure could be monitored. Number 19, vaginal surgery without anesthesia. Before gynecology became a proper field in medicine, pioneer Dr. J. Marion Sims, who headed the experiment on the repair of part of the vagina, experimented on 14 enslaved women with the catastrophic complication from childbirth. Although he was hailed as the father of modern gynecology, it cannot be denied that this title came at the expense of his morality. Despite anesthesia becoming available recently, Sims did not use any form of it in his procedures and allowed the slave women to bear the great pain, even justifying his actions based on the women's race. Number 18, boiling water as a cure for pneumonia. In the 1940s, one doctor, Walter Jones, suggested that the torturous act of pouring boiling water on patients infected with typhoid pneumonia could be a treatment for the disease. Drove by the eagerness to find a cure for the disease before it affected his own loved ones, Dr. Walter Jones carried out the treatment on slaves, which include a 25-year-old man made to lie down and receive five gallons of boiling water on his back every four hours. Number 17, the Aversion Project. During South Africa's apartheid, a medical torture program led by Dr. Aubrey Levin saw the identification of gay soldiers being submitted to chemical castration and electric shock treatments. 
The treatments were intended to cure their homosexuality, and if a soldier failed it, they would be forced into a sex change operation and given fake birth certificates. Of course, most reassignment surgeries were left incomplete as the victims could not afford to pay for the artificial hormones needed. Number 16, the Milgram Experiment. The Milgram Experiment, conducted by Yale University psychologists, was a set of social psychology experiments conducted to test the willingness of study participants against an authority figure who instructed them to perform acts in conflict with their personal conscience. Participants had to act as an enforcer of punishments in the form of electrical shocks on their victims based on the order given by the head of the experiment. The end result saw 65% of participants administering the most severe punishment on their victims, although they displayed signs of tension and stress, such as profuse sweating, stuttering, trembling, and groaning. The experiment later received backlash from the public due to the extreme emotional stress inflicted on the participants. Number 15. Forced Gender Swap Disgraced psychologist John Money was the source of frustration for Canadian man David Peter Reimer. David Reimer was reassigned as a girl and raised female, according to the advice of John Money, after a failed circumcision which burned his penis off beyond surgical repair. John Money believed that gender identity was primarily learned and was adamant that his experiment on Reimer was successful. Meanwhile, academic sexologist Milton Diamond later reported that Reimer failed to identify as a female since age 9 and later lived as a male at age 15 onwards. Sadly, Reimer committed suicide after years of depression from his awful childhood experience at age 38. Number 14. Hepatitis Experiment in Mental Institution Willowbrook State School was an institution for children with intellectual disability in New York City until outbreaks of Hepatitis A turned the school into a medical study in the late 1950s and 70s. Gruesome experiments to discover how the hepatitis virus spread included feeding live hepatitis virus to 60 healthy children, and the lead researcher watched as the children's eyes turned yellow and they started vomiting. The researcher, Saul Krugman, justified his inoculation of the retarded children at Willowbrook by saying they would get hepatitis anyway, except his experiment made sure the chances were at 100%. Number 13, Electroshock Therapy on Children. From 1940 to 1953, Dr. Loretta Bender, a child neuropsychiatrist practicing at Bellevue Hospital in New York City, experimented on electroshock therapy to cure children diagnosed with autistic schizophrenia. Over the course of the 13 years, Bender administered electroshocks to over 100 children, claiming excellent results on the children. However, she soon came out privately to say she was disappointed with the after effects shown by the subjects. Years later, some of Bender's patients had grown into convicted murders and others in prison for violent crimes. Number 12, Radiation Tolerance Test on Black Cancer Patients In 1960 to 1971, the Pentagon funded a study to find out how many of its soldiers would be able to survive an atomic attack by testing the experiment on African-American cancer patients. The patients were not presented consent forms and were subjected to full-body radiation in the context that they were receiving treatment for their cancer. Each patient received up to 20,000 x-rays worth of radiation within an hour, and up to a quarter of them died of radiation poisoning immediately. Number 11, Agent Orange Experiment. Dermatologist Albert Kligman was a distinguished dermatologist who led the controversial experiment of Agent Orange on prisoners at Holmesburg. He exposed 75 inmates with extremely high doses of dioxin and took a little effort to assure the safety of the subjects. Many were intentionally exposed to pathogens causing infections such as herpes, all for the sake of learning how the skin would protect itself against chronic assault from toxic chemicals. Number 10, mustard gas tests. The US Navy was not short of their controversy, especially in the summer of 1942. Afraid of Germany and Japan poisoning their sailors in the Second World War, the military thought it would be good to test the protectiveness of their military clothing and gas masks on human beings as animals did not fare so well in their experiments. The result was 2,500 unknown sailors being placed into a small army encampment called Edgewood in Maryland and poisoned with mustard gas inside a small cell before being dragged out upon experiencing the horrible burns from the gas. Number 9. Project QK Hilltop CIA was known for its avid study on brainwashing, including Project QK Hilltop in 1954, where they attempted to study Chinese brainwashing techniques in order to develop their own methods of interrogation. 
The studies were performed by Dr. Harold Wolf and would see the use of secret drugs and other procedures to damage the brain of victims. Number 8. Project 4.1 This particular project was started by the United States after residents from the Marshall Islands were exposed to radioactive fallout from a nuclear test in March 1954. Unfortunately, instead of notifying the residents and providing aid to them, the government decided to remain quiet and simply monitor their health responses. The results were astounding after a decade, with miscarriages and stillbirths doubling within the first five years and subsequently a disproportionate number of children suffering from thyroid cancer. Number 7. Project MKUltra The illegal experiments were given the codename MKUltra and were designed by CIA to identify and develop drugs to be used for mind control in order to force confessions. The program lasted from the early 1950s to 1973, with many unknowing U.S. and Canadian citizens being used as test subjects. This included drugs such as LSD, hypnosis, verbal and sexual abuse, along with torture in order to influence and control the minds of resistant subjects. Number 6. Monster Study Conducted by Wendell Johnson, an American psychologist, the Monster Study was a stuttering experiment performed on 22 orphan children in Iowa in 1939. The experiment aimed to see if stuttering could be induced in healthy children and was done by belittling the children for their speech imperfections. These included branding non-stuttering youngsters as having speech impediments and telling them not to speak unless they can do it right. The results were shocking, but not for a good reason, as many of the children suffered negative psychological effects with some retaining speech problems for the rest of their lives. Number 5. North Korea Human Experimentation North Korea remains one of the few countries in the world that is isolated due to their authoritarian regime with human experimentation being carried out consistently. From the accounts of several North Korean defectors and prison guards, they described experiments where 50 healthy women prisoners were given poisoned cabbage leaves to eat. Within 20 minutes, all 50 women were dead from vomiting blood and anal bleeding. Not to mention Camp 22, where laboratories were armed with gas chambers for suffocation gas experiments, along with doctors that practiced surgery on prisoners without anesthesia, just to gather studies on physical resistance from prisoners. Number 4. Poison Laboratory of the Soviet Secret Services the covert research and development facility by the Soviet secret police agencies was first created by Grigory Marinovsky to create a tasteless, odorless chemical that could kill its victims and not be detected post-mortem. During the initial stages, mustard gas, ricin, and cyanide were tested on mostly criminals and political prisoners in the form of meals, drinks, and medication. Finally, the gas named C2 derived from carbolamine's choline chloride was made and would kill the victim within 15 minutes, silencing them and weakening them physically. Before the drug was finalized, a large number of victims of varying physical conditions and age were brought together to paint a complete picture of the action that the poison would display. Number 3. Tuskegee Institute Syphilis Experiment One of the history's most infamous experiments, a total of 600 poor African-American sharecroppers from Alabama were recruited to study the progression of untreated syphilis. However, somewhere along the way, funding for the treatment was lost, but the men were never informed and the experiment continued, with most of them being infected by the disease without their consent. The end result saw a large number of dead men, with 40 wives contracting the disease and 19 children born with congenital syphilis. Number 2. Nazi Experiments Dr. Joseph Mengele was a lead researcher in the experiments conducted on Jews and Russians during the Holocaust. The number of experiments performed was horrendous, ranging from isolation in a low-pressure chamber, surgeries without anesthesia, freezing experiments, and forcing the victims to drink seawater. Of course, it would be a condolence if the data from these experiments were recorded, but Mengele destroyed all of it when arrested, leading to conclusions that the experiments were conducted out of sadism. Number 1. Unit 731 The Japanese were notorious for carrying out some of the most horrendous war crimes, with Unit 731 being a famous research unit responsible for it. Most of the victims being experimented on in the department were Chinese, Koreans, and Mongolians. The victims were subjected to vivisection without anesthesia, frostbite testing, rape, and forced pregnancy 
along with other tests to determine how much humans could endure. Sadly, the researchers from these experiments were given immunity by the U.S. in exchange for the data they gathered from their human experimentations, proving once again that knowledge precedes morality in the world we live in today. With all these horrific experiments conducted throughout history, it is no wonder people have lost faith in humanity. Do you think the advancement of science is sufficient reason for such unethical acts? When I learn of incidents such as the massacre of millions of men, women, and children perpetrated by the Nazis in World War II, how is it possible, I ask myself, that ordinary people who are courteous and decent in everyday life can act callously, inhumanely, without any limitations of conscience? The problem I wanted to study was a little different, it went a little bit further. It was the issue of authority. Under what conditions would a person obey authority who commanded actions that went against conscience? So he studied a thousand ordinary citizens. So all evil begins with the ideology of something good, like our evil in, in Iraq and wherever we are is we're protecting national security. That's the, same, that's the same ideology that Hitler used, that dictators everywhere used. So one of you is going to be the learner, one is going to be the teacher. The teacher is actually the real subject, the learner is a confederate. Uh, and so, and you have the experiment in the lab coat who's going to give the, the orders. And every time he makes a mistake, you have to press a button that gives an electric shock. And you start at 15 volts. All evil begins with 15 volts. He doesn't even feel it. You press a button, nothing happens. But that's, you're now on the path, the slippery slope, because it, it increases 15, 30, 45. And suddenly the guy starts screaming and yelling and wants to quit. And again, it's, it's uh, random. Pain. And down when you get here, it says danger, severe shock, uh, extreme shock, triple X. Would anyone go to 450 volts? Well, Milgram asked 40 psychiatrists to make their estimate. They said only 1% because that sadistic behavior and only sadists would do that. That's the dispositional orientation in practice. Was it 1%? No. It was 65%. Two of three of a thousand people went all the way to the end. The guy is screaming, yelling, I have a heart condition. I, I quit. I don't want to go on. And, and you dissent. That makes you feel good. But you don't quit. You don't disobey. There's actually 16 different experiments, and each one he varies one aspect of the social situation. In study 16, 91% go all the way. Study 16, you first see somebody like you go all the way. Nine out of 10 of you go all the way. In study five, you see people like you rebel. 90% of the time, you rebel. So that says we are powerful social models. We model goodness, as we're promoting here, and it's infectious. You model, you model evil, and it's also similarly infectious. It provides a model for good or bad behavior. At least if, if I can do anything, if I can achieve anything by exposing this issue to the general public, it could be that it takes away these criminals' right to destroy people's lives with this because it's terrible what's happening to people. I mean, what kind of a country do we live in where you can't, say certain things or do certain things without our own government using these subversive, underhanded tactics to drive you crazy. Into what they were doing, you went, is this lawful? Is this constitutional? And even if it's both, is it right? Uh, and unfortunately, they found that many of those things weren't the case. Now, why I say this was born out of an adical, radical act of lawbreaking that many people forget, well, it's because these things continue. This is not a radical departure uh, from the operation of intelligence agencies. This is what they do in the dark. This is what happens when you're not looking. This is what happens when they get enough leash, when they get comfortable enough that they won't be held to the account uh, of the public or the law when they go too far. And are these activities unlawful? Are they unconstitutional? Are they contrary to the values of the nation? Uh, are they waste, fraud, or abuse of the government's authorities? The governments don't like to ask permission. Governments don't like to follow procedures. Governments don't like to be bound by the same laws that you and I are. When they draft these laws, they create exceptions. When there aren't enough exceptions, they make their own. And as long as they have this shield of the state secrets privilege, this sort of shade of secrecy that they can uh, cover their actions with, by the time we the people, by the time journalists, by the time the public learns about them, the officials who are most responsible for these violations of our rights are often out of office. And this is why, the only reason this continues, sorry, the only reason this kind of uh, paradigm can continue is because we don't punish 
officials who do this, even in the most egregious cases. There is an ongoing pattern in practice of attempting to clear officers of clearly illegal, unconstitutional and improper conduct. Until the system starts to hold the officers who do these things responsibly, it's going to keep happening again and again. These are modern day pirates, these guys. They have escaped essentially the control of national governments, but they're available for use by national governments. They'll, they're perfectly happy to subvert domestic law, international law, because they have a higher goal in their own mind. They will continue to carry on covert operations. I think this has been going on forever. They make laws which are for us that they don't seem to be able to, uh, they don't apply them to themselves very often. And who is going to inhibit them? The gangsters that are running this country is going to inhibit somebody. We will have to make a decision as a country, both Congress and executive, that we will not tolerate this kind of activity and we will go after the perpetrators. These people do have faces when we talk about the shadow government or we talk about the secret team. It's not something totally amorphous. These people are identifiable and can be brought to justice. The content of our thoughts is our own, private, secret, unknowable by anyone else, until now, that is. Neuroscience research into how we think and what we're thinking is advancing at a stunning rate, making it possible for the first time in human history to peer directly into the brain to read out the physical makeup of our thoughts. Some would say to read our minds. I always tell my students that there is no science fiction anymore. All the science fiction I read in high school, we're doing. A beam of light that would be projected onto your forehead. It would go a couple of millimeters into your frontal cortex. And then receptors would get the reflection of that light from their brain activation patterns. You're reading their mind. We're identifying the thought that's occurring. It's Whoa. incredible. Just incredible. In translating your thoughts into speech using mm. a computer program, we want to develop an implantable device that decodes the signals that occur in the brain when we think about a word and then turn these signals into a sound file that can be reproduced by a speech device. We're talking about the next generation of technology that's going to basically be used against the public. We're talking about some real minority report level Orwellian nightmare stuff here. Decoding your internal speech. We can build models of various aspects of language, you know, uh, phonetics and syntax and semantics. And then once you have those models, you can actually decode uh, language. Hmm. Now, of course, the obvious application of that is decoding internal speech. And once you decode internal speech, then you essentially have, a, you know, the sort of worst possible brain decoding device. Your thoughts will be criminalized. This is just... Anything that is in current conscious awareness can potentially be decoded. Lawyers are already talking about your rights to cognitive liberty. Again, shouldn't this be a given? Why are we talking about this like it's something that is in question? It says that it would entitle people to make free and competent decisions regarding the use of technology that can affect their thoughts. In other words, they have technology that can affect your thoughts. And a right to mental privacy would protect individuals against unconsented to intrusion by third parties into their brain data. People like this guy, they always go off on this topic like it's there's no possible downsides to this technology at all. That it's all going to be amazing when we all plug our brains right into our computers. And what could possibly go wrong? I don't understand what we're so scared of losing. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get what the downsides would be. He thinks this should be the singular focus of the human race to hack and decode the brain and put a computer chip in it so AI and advanced computing systems can direct us, can change our memories. And he's openly talking about creating perfect memories, deleting bad memories, living experiences, you know, as if you were a cowboy in the 1800s or having people buy and sell their memories. Yeah, total through, recall. Exactly. All this dystopic fiction is coming true. But the creepiest part is that they're trying to push this on the public. They're trying to make it sound trendy. And the guy's literally talking about how this is going to be a democratized technology like smartphones. They want them in everyone's hands. They don't 
only want the rich and powerful and the wealthy and the trendy to have them. They want poor and average people to have them too. Brain chips in your head. Today you've got the smartphone. Tomorrow they'll be in your head. Says right now these technologies could exacerbate social inequalities and offer corporations, hackers, governments, or anyone else new ways to exploit and manipulate people. Yeah, you got that right. When they're in, literally in your brain. Is the issue going to be privacy? Will these devices be able to read your thoughts as you walk around the same way cameras now capture your image? Well, we already know after having looked into this that the answer to that is yes. And they talk about autonomy. Will devices that read your thoughts and autofill what you want to do next make you feel like your free will has been hijacked? The ethical thinking has been insufficient. That statement is so underwhelming. There's an array of ethical questions. Does inserting a chip into someone's brain mediate their brain circuitry and change their identity? Might it eventually lead to the ability to simply treat ourselves when feeling blue, a sort of high-tech take on Aldous Huxley's Soma? Could you use a DBS device to hack into someone's brain or control them or enhance them? Is it potentially dangerous in the wrong hands? So it can completely change people's personalities. They go on to say that it can make you a different person and it can make all the people around you think you've changed because ultimately I don't think they've really figured out all of the different interconnections of the brain, which is one of the most complicated machines, if you will, on the planet. And I don't think they fully know what they're doing when they're in there. Not even to this day. They just act like they do. But they want in there bad. It's the only place left that they haven't hacked. And it should just be on the record that these are the kinds of technologies that they were working on back during the CIA's MKUltra. Just saying. So this is something that they've been working on for a very long time now. They've just now decided they're going to start rolling it out and pushing it in everyone's face because obviously behind the scenes, they've only been perfecting it since the 50s. Absolutely. And the technology is not what's holding them up. It's the public's acceptance and usage and compliance with this stuff. Why don't you just open your brain up and put the NSA, the CIA, the government, just put them right inside your head. Okay. In 1984, George Orwell wrote that nothing was your own anymore except a few cubic centimeters inside your skull. And what I'm saying is they're going to make it to where you don't even have that. I'm, I'm pretty horrified about where they're taking this and how far this is about to go. And they've only been working on this since World War II. This is the New World Order, guys. This is the New World Order they were always working on since that time. This is the evolution of the new world man who will live in the one peaceful world. This is what it is. So welcome to the new world order. It'll start out consensual, but it's not going to end that way. These organizations like DARPA, they always come out with this stuff. They're like, we just want to help elderly people with Alzheimer's. That's the whole reason, because we're the Huggy Kissy Foundation of Awesome that just loves your grandma. And that's just not what's going on. They're the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. They're a military agency. They make weapons. They're not there because they just want to cure every little boo-boo and hurt feeling you ever had from a bad thing that happened to you. People there are working on, on behavioral design. It's programmable behavior, neural design. Do you, do you understand what I'm telling you? They've been experimenting on people's brains for years and years and years trying to figure stuff like that out. And if they did, do you think they would tell you? And if they told you, do you think you would be told the real aims behind it? You wouldn't be. We're all compartmentalized. And here we are right now watching the Worldwide Brain Initiative go down right in front of our faces. Like it's just gonna be so great because you know how much the government and the military and all of the elite foundations only have your best interest at heart. Actually, they started working on this stuff during World War II, and they've never stopped. And so these, these things are decades old when they're claiming they can do these kinds of things. And we have no idea what they have today because we know that the technology they show to the public is usually decades behind the technology that's actually being perfected and worked on.
And so you have to wonder. Finally, a right to psychological continuity might preserve people's mental life from external alteration by third parties. That is a really nice way of saying someone else messes with your mind, changes your mind, goes in beyond your consciousness and messes with your head, changes your thoughts and feelings. I mean, the Air Force, I did a story about this a while back, is paying for studies where they use magnets and change people's belief in God. I mean, back during MKUltra, they kept all this stuff a secret. Today, they're just openly doing the brain initiative, which just like MKUltra, features a lot of your favorites, such as the Rockefeller Foundation and DARPA. But today, when they talk about it, they openly say exactly what they're doing. They plan on trying to hack the soul. They put that on the cover of MIT magazines, hacking your soul. And they just openly say, we're going to go inside there and mess with your memories. And there are researchers coming out now talking about erasing bad memories. It's <laughs> harmful manipulations of neuroactivity through the misuse of technology would pretty much sum up, in my opinion, everything that I know about MK Ultra and what they were really trying to do there. So now they're just openly asking this question. And I guess George Orwell had it wrong because in the smart Internet of Things grid future that they're building, you don't even apparently have a right to the few cubic centimeters inside your skull. We're supposed to have unalienable rights. I don't need a piece of paper with those rights written down on it. They're supposed to be unalienable, God-given. But once they put them down on the piece of paper, they sure do like to screw with them, don't they? We don't even have this. We don't even have cognitive liberty written down somewhere because it was supposed to be a given. After all the things I've researched in the last five years, I can tell you that this is one of the biggest threats that we as individuals face. They're going to keep ratcheting up this technology and if you think there isn't going to be backdoors built into that, the way there are backdoors built into every Windows operating system that's ever been created, well, I don't know what to tell you. People don't understand. This is coming. This is the biggest threat we face. And people don't get it. When I talk about it, people think I'm crazy. Well, that's what happens after you read the conference notes of these people who are working on this project for decades. And you look at the declassified documents and you spend hours of your life pulling books out of storage at libraries so you can read what these people were talking about back in 1942. And I'm just telling you, they've been planning this for a really long time. This system that is coming, this beast system that is coming, this smart grid, smart derisive air quotes, grid internet of things system that just merges you with technology that's coming. There's a reason they're trying to dehumanize everybody to get you onto that. I mean, wh what's left? If they're going to start screwing with your neural activity without your conscious consent, what's left? This is the most depressing video I've ever recorded. How do we do all of this? So this may be your first time hearing about a direct neural interface. And... Um, in the middle of the screen up there is actually an example of one of the, the types of neural interfaces that we're using in humans today. So this is a sensor array. It's about four by four millimeters. And on this sensor array, there are 96 sensors. Each one of the tips uh, uh, on that little array can detect between one and three neurons in your brain. All right, and we have the technology in order to identify those neurons amplify their activity. There's minuscule signals actually happening in your brain. We can send those signals into a computer and that computer can interpret what all of those signals actually mean when you're thinking about trying to do something. And we can place these sensors anywhere in your brain or even in your peripheral nervous system, right? These are the nerves that are outside of, uh, of your brain, okay? So while you may have thought of neurotechnology as I've just described to you as being something way off in the future, it's actually a technology that exists today and we're actually using it with humans. So this is Nathan taking these cones and he's kind of building this structure. He's doing all of this just by thinking about it. You can see he's not moving his own arms. He's just uh, producing the neural signals directly from his brain and stacking those cones. We know that these technologies are extremely powerful. And we also know that they can be used for good or for ill. We're living in a giant science experiment, ladies and gentlemen. That is what's going on. 
And I'm not even going to sit here and go through the literally hundreds of patents that you can go find right now at the U.S. Patent Office about how they can use electromagnetic frequencies, RF, all this to target the central nervous system, to turn switches off and on and make all kinds of things happen in people. This is something they've been studying since the Second World War, like I said. So they've decided what we really need is an inexpensive, easy to use neural recording device. And the first reason they say we need it right here is that having EEGs in every classroom in America would engage students in science and technology in a way not previously possible in the field of neuroscience. Teachers could design lesson plans in the biology about the brain and sensory systems and use hands-on demonstrations to engage the students. Students could record their own brain activity and download the data to their iPads. Then it goes on to say you could include a portable EEG in a military first aid kit to help with traumatic brain injury diagnosis. Hello, okay. Uh, so number one, DARPA's main concern is not the including of it as a military first aid device, which actually does make sense and is a way to justify such a thing. No, no, they want to have portable brain reading devices put into every classroom in America so that students can scan their brain activity and download it into their iPad. Scientists have done experiments with rats and they have chips in the rat's brain. And what they did was they taught a rat how to do certain things. And when the rat did all these complex things, it could get food. Now, it took the rat weeks to learn that. Weeks. But then they hooked the rat's brain a chip to the internet and they had another rat in another city and instantly they connected those two rats brains and do you know what happened the other rat knew how to get the food right away it didn't have to learn anything the knowledge was transferred from one brain of a living animal to another brain that is amazing that opens up a world of possibilities because if they can do that in rats today imagine 10 years from now what they can do in humans and we will go there so mind-to-mind -mind communication this is something of science fiction that we all read about but this is actually possible today as i just showed you they can implant memories in your head that you don't have they could erase memories they could control you in, in ways that you wouldn't even know you're being controlled. Is this scary? So I painted on the hand a heaven, but there is also a hell, right? This is heaven and hell. We are on the cusp of this technology that is so powerful and has the potential to so radically transform our lives and our existence. And we have to be very careful about how we do this. We don't want people controlling us. So think about this. Think very carefully. Everybody in this room are very smart people. You're all highly educated. We are going to be making these decisions that lay the groundwork for this technology in our lifetime. And those decisions will affect the rest of humanity more than any decisions we have made in the past. I think there's probably going to be a lot that happens in... Uh, genetics and in a uh, human-machine brain interface, like essentially a cyborg brain interface. Musk is afraid of the day AI gets smarter than us and we can't turn it off. That's actually the nightmare scenario that a lot of people, not just Musk, are warning about. Hollywood mined our fears of machines taking over mankind, but some of the tech world's greatest minds worry it may not be pure science fiction. Famed physicist Stephen Hawking is also worried, as is Microsoft founder Bill Gates, who ironically helped lay the foundation for artificial intelligence, or AI. As we create uh, superintelligence, that it will necessarily always uh, have the same goals in mind that we do. I'm really quite close to, I'm very close to the, to the cutting edge in AI, and it scares the hell out of me. Um, it's capable of vastly more than almost anyone knows. And the rate of improvement is exponential. This is extremely important. Um, 
I think the danger of AI is much greater than the, the, the danger of nuclear warheads by a lot. Mark my words, AI is far more dangerous than nukes. Far. You know, the, the, the transhumanists will always argue that it's in the, we're doing this for the betterment of mankind. Mm -hmm. I mean, they always pull that one, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not for the betterment of mankind. Transhumanism is just flat out dangerous, and it's basically aligning humans and AI. And uh, I can think of very few uh, more nefarious things uh, that a government can do than to mess with somebody's mind. Seriously. And they've been doing I mean, it for a long time. And they've been doing it for a very long time. Now, this gives you an indication that there may be a, a few things they did that they didn't want the public to know. There are those who are strongly advocating that we begin altering humans at the um, germline genetic level so that we can make superior people who will then pass on forever those improvements as they perceive them to the, to the human bloodline. And that's one of the scariest parts in the, this germline genetic engineering because it could permanently undo what we know as the human genetic makeup. But of course, what you're also really saying is that you will undo humans as they were made by God permanently. We have crossed that really important line in the sand and now we're doing it. Most of the church is completely unaware of what is coming and how soon it's going to be here. What Christians should be doing is educating themselves in educating others and discussing the ethics that are involved in transhumanism and the coming human enhancement revolution because it is going to impact all of our lives in one way or another and probably sooner than most people would believe. So much is happening right now and we're reaching a point where we can do things that we never thought were possible. The people that get these chips in their heads, how do they know for certain who's got control of that chip? How do they know that chip couldn't turn you into a robot, turn you into a Manchurian candidate? Remember, along with all the good things behind the curtain,